HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Square. If you run a restaurant or business, Square has the tools to help you stay connected to customers, shift your business, and navigate this uniquely challenging time. Learn more at square.com slash go slash meet. That's square.com slash go slash M-E-A-T. This episode of Meet and 3 is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee. Learn about the wonderfully tart Montmorency cherry at choosecherries.com. Number one, self-care. Number two, mental self-care. There's a different way to take care of your mind than you take care of your body. What are you letting in? Are we overdosing on too much news? Are we overdosing on too many Zoom calls? Number three, I would say, is your spiritual health. Not everybody believes in the same thing, but if you can take time out to meditate, take time out to pray, you're one who prays, Make sure that your spirit is intact. And then I would say lastly, with all of the precautions that we have to take regarding a mask and gloves and social distancing, I'll call number four overall world care because whatever we do in this regard is going to affect everybody in our orbit. With over one million confirmed cases and over 100,000 deaths in the U.S., COVID-19 is our biggest public health crisis since the early days of the AIDS epidemic some 30 years ago. The fear, isolation, and economic devastation surrounding this pandemic has been physically and emotionally overwhelming for many of us. In the past weeks, a lot of us have left quarantine, not through a slow reopening, but by taking to the streets to peacefully protest. The unpredictability of the present moment makes it hard to know if things will ever feel normal again. While we fight to keep our bodies healthy, our mental health is also at risk. Untreated psychological trauma can impact an individual's daily life, even after the immediate risk of COVID-19 has passed. This week, we delve into the unseen effects of the pandemic on our emotional well-being. I'm Kat Johnson, and this is Meet and Three. Meet and Three. Meet and Three. Meet and Three. One meet, three sides. Food, news, and storytelling. A square meal for your ears. Meet and Three. For our first story this week, Bryce Bayaki reports on how the quarantine might worsen disordered eating as weight stigmatization takes on a new form. 
As we spend more time isolated and working from home, many people are finding comfort in food as they experiment in the kitchen to cope with the daily stress of a global pandemic. But amid the tweets of sourdough starters and photos of failed macaroons are memes stigmatizing weight gain. Some are calling the weight gained during coronavirus the quarantine 15. Health experts are concerned that between the stresses of a home-based life and this new form of weight stigmatization, disordered eating could worsen for individuals who already experience it. My outpatient case lived through benevolent does not have a lot of individuals who may have like diagnosable eating disorders, but there are a few individuals who are discussing more disordered eating and more issues surrounding with food due to the anxiety and stress of the pandemic. That's Casey McDaniel, a resident and counseling art therapist at Benevolent Family Health Services in Virginia Beach, Virginia, where they have seen an increase in referrals due to the stress of COVID-19. McDaniel works with patients in a one-on-one setting and co-facilitates a support therapy group for those with anorexia and related disorders. A lot of the members are discussing just the changes in their lifestyle and their routines, which are creating more stress. So if they were at school, now they're coming home, um, and maybe their family systems aren't the healthiest or uh, most supportive for their recovery to be around. Maybe they're with people who are triggering for them or also enable their behaviors. McDaniel also points out that people might be around more food or stock up on food because they're uncertain about the availability of food in stores. Many people also now lack the structure of set meal times that working outside of home might provide. This means individuals are at a higher risk of eating too much food in a day or skipping multiple meals. The eating disorder behaviors um, have more access and more availability to kind of sneak up because maybe there's less contact and less people there to check in on you about it. As people remain at home, she recommends that they establish boundaries with their families and friends, create eating schedules, and rethink who they follow on social media. Now, I really encourage people to remain connected to their treatment teams. Um, There's also some really great supports out there. There is an Instagram page called COVID-19 Meal Support, and they are doing meal support every two hours, 24 hours a day. But most of all, McDaniel wants people to remember that this is an unprecedented time with unprecedented stress. And I'd also encourage people to give themselves some self-compassion. I don't think anyone is ever prepared for this unprecedented event, and that's okay. It's, it's going to be rough. It's, it's rough for everybody. And it's rough for everyone in different ways. The last thing is that you know, if people do end up gaining weight, you know, your body knows what to do in a crisis. And it's natural for people to kind of turn to food for some comfort. You know, people may want to like demonize these experiences, but these are normal experiences to have. To learn more about eating disorders and disordered eating, or to find support, visit nationaleatingdisorders.org. For those of us following stay-at-home orders, cooking and sharing meals can help maintain some semblance of normalcy. However, for those self-isolating alone, this time of solitude has provided a different perspective on the intrinsically communal act of breaking bread. We turn to Tosh Kimmel as she investigates the experience of cooking and eating alone during the pandemic. When I think of food, I think of family, of friends, of picnics and laughter. I think of community. We're all familiar with the trope of the unpopular teen who timidly eats alone in the bathroom, or at an empty table in an otherwise crowded cafeteria. So when I began researching and interviewing, I was sure that the story would be about the detrimental effects of eating alone. But how true are these images? I've never understood why people have said I'm brave for solo dining. I think it's just a matter of 
trying it out and realizing that there's a lot of good things that can come from it. That's solo dining advocate and host of HRN's All in the Industry, Sherry Bayer. Sherry has shared over 250 solo dining experiences as part of her weekly podcast and lives alone in New York City. But I think when people are by themselves or alone, the stigma is that they, I guess, are a loser or don't have any friends. And I just learned to ignore it. And it's nobody's business as to why I was by myself. As a solo dining aficionado, it's not a surprise Sherry sings the praises of meals alone. But I still felt skeptical. How would the experience of a less seasoned solo eater match up? I decided to call my friend Jack Shepard to find out. He's been living alone in his LA apartment for two months. Unless you count his dog Ralph, of course. So yeah, it's kind of mostly just been me in my little two-bedroom apartment. It can definitely be lonely to, to spend this much time and do just all these daily activities alone, especially when we can't really be in public and at least have, you know, even unfamiliar faces to kind of glean something from. It's hard to discern, oh, do I feel more lonely now when I'm eating this than I did when I was, you know, journaling? Yeah, I mean, I definitely miss the experience of being out in a crowded restaurant and conversation and and just being surrounded by people that you enjoy spending time with. Solo meals haven't been all bad for Jack, but the experience has changed his relationship with eating. Food can kind of be a source of solace or it can be a, a source of excitement or like an activity to, to keep you busy. But at the same time, I think I've started to look at food more as like sustenance and something you need to maintain a healthy lifestyle and less as like a reward. Jack isn't the only one feeling this way. Anna Archin, a Los Angeles-based actress stuck under strict quarantine in Russia, explains how she too has changed her outlook after eating so many meals alone. In those first three weeks, I used food as stress management uh, and I was eating a lot of crap. Uh, so you're just locked in the apartment by yourself, um, exploring yourself, and that's pretty much everything there is to do. I was forced to learn how to cook and how to fend for myself, uh, which has been very stressful, but I've made it through. <laughs> I think it just made me healthier in a way and made me more in touch with my body and what it needs and what it doesn't need. And I think like it's definitely like a lesson that I'm going to take with me after the quarantine. Quarantine has forced them into solitude, but it's also pushed them into the kitchen and helped them develop a healthier relationship with food. As I prodded my guests in the hope they might validate my preconceived notions, I began to realize I myself had embraced the stigma of eating alone. Here's Sherry again. I never found it to be a sad experience. I always found it to be something that uh, fulfilled me. So I think dining alone in your apartment is still about taking care of yourself. Like a solo person shouldn't, isn't any less important than a, a group of four people. I'm eating well and eating delicious food and not sacrificing that just because I'm a solo person. What I didn't realize is that learning how to enjoy one's own company is an invaluable skill few of us have. Food allows us not only to strengthen our relationships with others, but also to strengthen our relationships with ourselves. A lesson Sherry, Jack, and Anna all learned during their time eating alone. We'll be right back with more Meat and Three. This episode is brought to you by Square. 
We all know that this is an incredibly challenging time for our friends running restaurants and small food businesses. With social distancing in place, people are staying home and eating in, and restaurants have had to pivot to pickup and delivery only. HRN would usually be recording our podcast from our studio inside Roberta's, but since they've had to close their dining room, they've ramped up their frozen pizza production, set up a wine and grocery shop, and seen their delivery orders skyrocket. Like Roberta's, many restaurants have been changing offerings day by day as they figure out how to best serve their customers. If you run a restaurant or small business, Square has the tools to help you adapt. One of these tools is the Square online store. It lets you set up a free online ordering page with curbside pickup and local delivery so you can keep customers safe. You can deliver orders yourself or integrate with delivery partners. Its order hub lets you manage all your incoming orders in one place, no matter which delivery partners you choose to use. Square has all the tools to help you stay connected to customers no matter where they are. See everything that's available by visiting square.com slash go slash meet. That's square.com slash go slash M-E-A-T. This episode of Meet and 3 is brought to you by the Michigan Cherry Committee, representing 75% of U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry production. With over 100 articles published in health journals stating the vast health benefits of Michigan's superfruit, it's best to choose the cherry with more. U.S. Montmorency tart cherries. They're available year-round, dried, frozen, canned, juice, and concentrate. Learn more about the wonderfully U.S.-grown Montmorency tart cherry at choosecherries.com. Welcome back to Meet and 3. Another community uniquely affected by isolation during pandemic is those in recovery from drug and alcohol abuse. AA and substance abuse groups have had to cancel in-person meetings, which are an integral piece of maintaining sobriety for many people. McGill-Webb has the story of how one restaurant-focused group has had to adjust since the pandemic hit. What is one thing that has helped you to stay sober all of these years? Other people. Other people. Yeah, I think that goes community. back. Yeah, that goes community. back to what you're saying with community. That's Steve Palmer, co-founder of Ben's Friends, a support group offering hope, fellowship, and a path forward to professionals in the food and beverage industry who struggle with substance abuse and addiction. He was interviewed by Jenny Goodman, on an episode of Opening Soon in January. Here's the sort of beautiful, I don't know how you would say it. When we started it, we just thought it'd be a Charleston thing. And it's once a week. We certainly don't think once a week is going to get anybody sober. But it's a landing pad for people in the business that are like, I need help. What do I do? That's amazing. What we're finding, and I think where what's really beautiful, uh, is... In the way that the restaurant business already is a subculture, mm-hmm. right? We work at nights, weekends, 100%. holidays. Yep. Um, people feel safe coming into a Ben's Friends meeting because they know it's their tribe. Right. And I, and I say this all the time. We spend every night taking care of our guests. Mm-hmm. We're just now figuring out how to take care of ourselves. COVID-19 has made conversations about fostering community among hospitality professionals even more relevant. Many restaurant owners are currently reevaluating how industry policy and culture can be more supportive of employees. For Steve, that includes taking drinking culture into consideration. What else can restaurateurs do to create a culture that says, you know, drinking isn't part of our DNA, Mm -hmm. we're a professional establishment, what seeds can they plant to show that? So I have always been really sensitive to, just because I'm sober, I don't want to 
project that on our restaurants. You know, listen, we sell alcohol every night. Yeah. Alcohol is not bad. Alcohol was bad for me. Right. I have no, my wife drinks. She loves pink champagne. You know, <laughs> it's all good. Um, we went to no, no shift drinks. So, so we kind of said, and I was very reluctant. So I kind of threw it out to the management and said, how do y'all feel if we just said, we're not going to do shift drinks. We're not going to take a shot at the bar. 100% said, Yes. Yes. Yeah. So I think it's subtle, but just by removing that time honored yes. shift drink, right. you know, you're sort of saying like, hey, we're trying to be better, right. more professional. As millions of people in the food industry have been laid off, the temptation to drink may be higher than ever for everyone, but especially those in recovery. Steve recognizes the importance of maintaining strong support systems during this time and has made sure Ben's Friends meetings remain consistent. Since the pandemic, Ben's Friends has shifted from holding weekly meetings at various locations across the country to hosting daily meetings that are taking place online. People across the country are coming together every day at 1 p.m. Eastern Time. To learn more, visit bensfriendshope.com. And to hear the rest of Steve Palmer's interview, listen to the episode, The Changing Culture in the Hospitality Industry of Opening Soon. For our final story this week, Matt Patterson spoke with the hosts of Processing, an HRN podcast about the intersection of food and grief. They discussed the effects of COVID-19 on all of our mental health, as well as specific challenges facing service industry workers. I had found myself for the past several years really being all over the place, taking like 20,000 steps just going from one job to the other. And so Right up until the day the shutdown happened, I had been working on a project at an Italian restaurant, helping them consult on their menu, and kind of just got to see the process of the owners of that establishment realizing, oh no, this is it. And as the consultant, I never actually thought I would find myself in the position of not only just consulting, but also having to be like, oh, well, this is what you might want to think about since your restaurant is going to potentially have to shut down for service. It was very weird. That's Zara Tangora. Zara used to be the chef and owner of Brucey in Cobble Hill. Since closing her restaurant five years ago, she's worked a variety of other service industry jobs, including private catering and restaurant consulting. She also hosts Processing with her mother, Bobby Comforto. Hi, I'm Bobby Comforto. I'm a bereavement and trauma specialist. I've had a private practice in my home for the last 10 years. Um, so I've had approximately 40 to 50 people come to my home each week. And the caseload was primarily bereaved people um, who had had all kinds of losses, loss of children, loss of parents, loss of siblings, and then just general people that need psychotherapy. Bobby's workload has intensified during quarantine. She took her practice remote before it was officially mandated because she herself is immunocompromised. At first, she had some clients fall off due to the challenges of new technology. Then I started hearing from clients out of the woodwork, people I hadn't seen in five years, ten years, And um, just recently, in the past two weeks, I started getting new calls of people whose family members died from COVID. But for Zara, like most of the service industry, sheltering in place has brought her normal life to an abrupt halt. I pivoted to kind of doing some like lasagna catering, which was a half of my catering business already. Like half of it was doing in-home stuff and half of it was doing lasagnas and meatballs and all the classic stuff from my old restaurant. And a lot of times I do that for charity. 
In particular, she's been donating to the Service Workers Coalition, a cash relief network for and by service workers in New York City. And she's hopeful that, though this moment is hard, something good will come of it. When there's a crisis, typically the restaurant industry is one of the industries that springs into action in terms of being like, well, come in, we'll take care of you. You know, 9-11 or Sandy or we're the first people to welcome you in and, and be the ones who are like the helpers. And it's very difficult to feel like we can't help. And it's so strange. It's so strange. And here's the thing. Even if the restaurant industry does come back, it's not going to be the same at all, ever, ever again. And there are advantages of that because as we can see that restaurant workers are unprotected and way too vulnerable. And so this is a good opportunity for that to change. But what a weird thing to have. What I'm trying to say is like, what a crazy thing. And mom, I'm sure you can relate because you deal with so many people in your practice who have, you know, had to deal with really sudden loss. Right. And it's the end of their assumptive world. They thought their husband would be around forever. They thought their child would grow into old age. So you're right. I deal with that all the time. Bobby explained that this is an essential concept in processing any type of grief. COVID-19 has put the world on pause, shattering everyone's expectations for so many facets of our lives. There's a loss of the assumptive world, which means that the assumptions that we have made in the past, which were predictable, they help stabilize us, orient us, secure us, those are the things that have been shaken. So a crisis does that. It shakes our assumptive world. Like Zari, you always talk about the restaurant business and how it's a place where people can bring their life and bring their problems and heal and uh, nurture themselves and nourish themselves. You know, knowing that you can't do that, you have to find new ways. So if they can't find those adjustments, they really feel lost. For service industry workers, these are tremendous losses to adjust to. With nearly the entire industry shut down, the financial toll has been devastating. And Zara says that the loss is even greater than the monetary value. There's like a healing component to like caring for other people, right? So I think a lot of the times we think of self-care as being stuff that we do for ourselves to feel good. But I think that there's a huge component of self-care and like purpose in caring for other people. And I don't know that there's many other industries, of course, other than the healthcare industry in which people care for strangers the way that restaurant people do. Similarly to what Bobby and I talk about sometimes with some of our guests who have lost loved ones is the question of where does that love go? You know, like where does the love go that you have for other people? And I think that a lot of us are missing that piece and have that hole in our hearts. And I'm not even sure that it's conscious for everybody, like that it's really Mm. at the forefront of realizing how traumatizing and sad and lonely it is to just not have people to care for. Mm. You know, it's a big deal. It's a big part of what we do. While Zara was happy to share the more nuanced losses that affect service workers, she also hopes we remember that the service industry employs some of the most vulnerable workers in the United States. Bobby made a great point the other day. She was like, we're all in the same ocean, but we're not all in the same boat. And there doesn't need to be judgment about like, oh, you're in a boat where you're at home cooking with your family in your upstate house, and that makes you a jerk or something like that. You know, we don't need to have any kind of judgment attached to that, but just keep in mind that like, There are so many people in the restaurant industry, particularly, that fall into this category of absolute despair. 
And that's why I mentioned the Service Workers Coalition and other coalitions who are specifically aiming to help people who are undocumented and, and really not even able to like buy groceries and keep their lights on. Like, I just think it's important to remember that that is a very big part of the restaurant community and the community that fuels this entire industry, the whole supply chain. And what are we really offering them as supposing they're listening, hoping that they're listening for like some help? If you feel you need urgent help, you can text the word HOME to 741-741 at any time, day or night, and you'll be connected to a trained counselor via the crisis text line. There are many mental health resources available to restaurant workers during this crisis, and Food & Wine has compiled a fantastic guide. Search for the Food & Wine Pro Guide to Mental Health and Sobriety Resources, or check out the link in the show notes. And if you're feeling financially stable, consider donating to the Service Workers Coalition or the Restaurant Workers Community Foundation to help our restaurant workers get through this difficult time. More info can be found at heritageradionetwork.org COVID-19. If you'd like to hear more from Zara and Bobby, subscribe to their show, Processing, available wherever you listen to podcasts. Special thanks this week to Tosh Kimmel, Bryce Bayaki, Zara Tangora, Bobby Comforto, and Sherry Bayer. Meet and Three is produced by Hannah Forden, Matt Patterson, Katie Mosman-Wadler, Dylan Hoyer, and me, Kat Johnson. Lead production this week was by Tosh Kimmel. Our audio engineer is Matt Patterson. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. This program is supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. Meet and Three is powered by Simplecast. Meet and Three is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio. And please stay in touch. Whether you have a story idea, feedback, or just want to drop us a line, you can write to us at ideas at meetand3.nyc. That's all spelled out.